Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to a TVO podcast. Hi, I'm Colin Ellis, and you're listening to On Docs, a podcast about documentaries and the stories they tell. It's officially summertime, and many of you listening right now probably have children at summer camp. Or maybe you have your own memories of the smell of the woods or the sound of crackling campfire or the itchy feeling of a million bug bites. Now imagine you've just experienced your home country being torn up by war. You're a child. You fled with your family and you've landed in a strange new country. And then you are thrust into summer camp. That's what happened to Omar and Hamid. They're teenagers from Iraq who came to Canada with their mother as refugees. Less than a year later, Omar and Hamid found themselves at Camp Pathfinder. Is Canada really different from, from Iraq? Yeah. In Canada, nobody killed body. It's a different world here in Canada, yeah. it's right? A, it's nice Canada. Yeah. Pathfinder invited 10 boys from Iraq and Syria to spend a couple of weeks at their all-boys camp. It's in Algonquin Park, and it's been operating for over 100 years. The boys were exposed to all the things kids at summer camp do. I'm talking about fishing, sailing, building a fire, hiking through the woods. They had none of the comforts of home and were hundreds of kilometers away from their parents. And then one day, a film crew shows up. They came across to us as, we'd like to come and spend a couple weeks filming everything that happens at the camp with a focus on these kids who are newly arrived in Canada. And we would like to explore this issue of refugee escape and and uh, arrival and assimilation from a personal point of view and not from a political or societal point of view. That's the camp's owner and director, Mike Sladden. He was approached by documentary filmmaker Barbara Koppel. Koppel has won two Oscars for her documentaries. She's directed films on everything from coal miners in Kentucky to the Dixie Chicks documentary Shut Up and Sing. For her next project, Koppel wanted to look at refugees. But instead of going to a war zone, she went to a summer camp. The parents of the kids we invited and the staff of the camp both felt that it was a worthwhile idea because in spite of the fact that it might be a bit uh, intrusive at times or would sort of change the overall experience of being up in Algonquin Park, uh, that it would uh, shed a light on a, you know, a human, just a human effort to connect. The film that came out of this experiment is called New Homeland. It had its premiere at Hot Docs in the spring. Sometimes the scenery in the film looks like what you'd expect at a summer camp. But of course, the campers were from a very different place. I spoke with Sladen about the reasons he invited boys from Iraq and Syria to Camp Pathfinder and what it was like to have a documentary made about his camp. We've got that coming up. So Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. Great to be here. Thanks. Um, just tell us a bit about Pathfinder Camp, first of all. Right. Okay. Well, Camp Pathfinder uh, is a very old uh, canoe camp located up in Algonquin Park. It's on an island uh, in the backcountry interior of Algonquin uh, on Source Lake. Source Lake is the headwaters lake of the Madawaska River system, so that waterway eventually makes its way to Ottawa um, through uh, the Ottawa Valley. You know, Pathfinder was established in 1914 Hmm. and has been operating continuously ever since. I was the third generation of my family to, you know, boys to get to go to this camp back in the late 60s. 
And for me, it just sort of clicked like it has for so many kids over the years. And then I ended up having all kinds of different identities there, you know, camper, counselor, trip guide, paddling instructor, alumni volunteer, then parent, and then suddenly a buddy of mine and I, uh, who had grown up there, ended up as owners. And you're originally from the U.S.? Yeah, uh, raised in Rochester, New York, and you uh, went to... but spent all these summers up in Ontario, and for the last 20 years, I've lived in the park for half the year. That's a great place for camping, right? <laughs> it's one of the greatest places for kids to learn about uh, canoe travel, yeah. because it's such a tight, protected little wilderness area. So a documentary uh, crew comes to you. How does this happen? How do you get in touch with uh, Barbara Koppel? Uh, we got a call from a guy who had gone to Camp Pathfinder for a couple of years as a little kid. And he said, oh, I was talking to some fellow camp alumni recently and found out that you guys are welcoming uh, kids on scholarship from the U.S. and Canada, that you uh, have started... Uh, inviting indigenous kids down from James Bay communities to, to participate in collaborative canoe trips with Camp Pathfinder kids. And now that you're having Syrian and Iraqi kids come without any charge, and I work for Barbara Koppel. Hmm. And uh, that name sort of clicked and rang a bell. And then he said, you know, I think we'd like to talk to you about maybe uh, documenting some of your experiences this summer with a new crop of these kids. Hmm. And... Had you heard of Barbara Koppel before? You said her name clicked. Yeah, it turns out it made sense to me a little bit later. I had seen Harlan County when I was young. You know, oh. that was made in 1976, and I graduated high school in 1976. And uh, it turns out I had seen that film, and I knew a little bit about another film she had made, uh, Miss Sharon Jones, which was more recent. And uh, so I just, you know, we knew that she had, you know, long and deep experience but we were uh, unprepared for their approach to us. We didn't really think anything about a project like that. We were really focused on how we were going to help these kids and their families have a positive experience because it was going to be so new for them. They came across to us as, uh, we'd like to come and spend a couple weeks filming everything that happens at the camp with a focus on these kids who are newly arrived in Canada and are new Canadians. And we would like to... Uh, explore this issue of uh, refugee escape and, and uh, arrival and assimilation from a personal point of view and not from a political or societal point of view. And was there any kind of reluctance to invite a film crew on? Were there any of the parents or the kids kind of like, eh, I don't know about this? I think I was the most reluctant at first. Really? You know, I think the backstory is that we said no at first. We thought that having a film crew come would be so disruptive and would change everyone's experience so significantly, especially in a remote and tiny community like that, that it would uh, risk undoing what we were hoping to do for not only the Syrian and Iraqi kids we invited to join us, but all the members of the summer community. But we got over that pretty quickly, and I, I think there were two reasons why. One was that some people we knew were calling us saying, you'd be insane not to have Barbara Koppel <laughs> come and make a film about anything you do at that place. And that was persuasive. And But, but more persuasive was that the parents of the kids we invited and the staff of the camp, many of whom are high school and university kids, both felt that it was a worthwhile idea because in spite of the fact that it might be a bit... Uh, intrusive at times or would sort of change the 
overall experience of being up in Algonquin Park, uh, that it would uh, shed a light on, a, you know, a human, just a human effort to connect hmm. between people, and that that might be worthwhile if it reached eventually an audience that could be persuaded that that's the way to look at um, human migration and, and the challenge that people are facing in something like this unbelievable conflict in the Middle East. So you mentioned inviting Syrian and, Ira- and Iraqi refugee boys. This is a boys' ca- summer camp. Um, when did, why did you start inviting uh, refugee, ref- refugee kids to uh, Camp Pathfinder? Well, I did grow up in the States but spent so much time in Canada that I really got to feel uh, firsthand Canada's uh, outreach to Syrian kids. And the film touches on it a little bit. You know, in, in the States, we were really horrified by some of the reporting going on about uh, the Syrian conflict and what was happening to people there and about refugee camps springing up in Turkey and Jordan and Syria. And then we saw this uh, photograph that was widely published. You know, there's a, a child that had drowned during a family's attempt to escape in the Mediterranean and had washed up on a beach in North Africa. And that picture was just horrendous and just... This is Alan Curdy. <clears throat> you know, it circulated around the world. Yeah. And it, it turns out that um, Barbara touches on that in the film as well because some of the sponsor parents in Toronto were also deeply affected by that. But I think it was one of those moments where... Uh, we felt, you know, we're trying to reach out and and bring people into and expand the diversity and the richness of our camp environment. And we could join in the spirit that Canada is exemplifying at that moment. This was the winter of 2016. Mm-hmm. And do you know much about the kids that uh, came from uh, Syria and Iraq? Like, wh- wh- how much information do you have about them before they arrive? Well, that's, that's a difficult one because I knew enough to go into Toronto during the winter of 16 and and really haunt around the city trying to make contact with sponsor family groups and with agencies that were helping government-assisted refugees. And we knew that we couldn't just sort of throw our name in the hat of summer camps that would take any kind of families that wanted to sign their kid up for a camp experience. We had to find families where we could get to know them a little bit understand whether the boys were really interested in and ready for, first, a residential experience away from home, uh, and two, for a wilderness travel kind of experience that's very rustic and sort of hardcore. So there was a lot of work done leading up to that first summer to find people and to get to know families and to make a, a decent personal connection before, you know, inviting the kids to come up. And there were families for whom Pathfinder wasn't the right choice. They they wanted for their kids to go to day camp but not sleep away at night. They wanted their kids to focus on soccer or art. Um, and we helped a bunch of families find alternative camps that would happily take their kids at no charge, but it wasn't a Pathfinder fit. And so we lucked out and found these families who we thought really would be a Pathfinder fit. Yeah, well, it's, it's kind of tough, uh, I guess, for the, the parents to certainly give up their children for how long are they gone for? A month or? Well, we... We tried to convince everyone to come for a month because that's kind of Canadian summer camp, you know, baseline thing. In the old days, many kids came for seven, eight weeks every summer. But families were reluctant about that, and understandably so. And so it turned out that we offered a two-week experience, Hmm. and we split the ten kids that we invited into two groups of five so that they would spend two different weeks, five and five, at Pathfinder so that 
they would have a chance to really integrate more with all the kids at the camp and not tend to bunch together or to be too focused on each other. And what kinds of activities do you have them do when they're up there? Well, all the kids who come to Pathfinder are swimming, uh, paddling, kayaking, climbing, sailing, fishing. They're learning about fires and cooking, navigation, orienteering. They learn a lot about the ecology of Algonquin and the north and a little bit about minimalist living, I guess, Mm. you know, sort of simplifying uh, life and being comfortable with the least amount of stuff. So we know specifically uh, for the boys from Iraq and Syria, they're obviously coming from countries that have been devastated by war, uh, probably seen things that we can't imagine. They're dealing with some serious trauma here. How does your camp kind of help them deal with that? We were nervous, Colin, about how things would go for them if the normal stresses and strains for a young kid leaving home and being independent sometimes for the first time, you know, if those were to play out with this sort of added burden of having had a traumatic experience as young people. And I guess in our experience that first year, the year that Barbara and her crew covered, 2017, nine out of the 10 boys, you know, sailed through it. Hmm. And their parents even said to us when we had a big orientation day up in Algonquin Park and brought everybody associated with the families and their support up together for you know, an all-day experience at the camp. Uh, They all said, you know, our kids were so young when we fled uh, that their memories are really limited, and we don't think that they're going to to have a hard time based on that so much, as it is going to be difficult for them to be away from us and from our, you know, family's almost obsession with staying together and staying close. Um, And so that's going to be big for them. And then getting to know and feeling part of a community that really is all kinds of kids from the U.S. and Canada, and some from South America and Europe and even China, but predominantly North American kids, like how we're thinking about how they're going to handle that. And how did they get along with the kids from uh, North America? Kids are kids. I mean, that's, we found that out yet again. You know, it's proven to us year on year, but that was the case in this for sure. The film even has great little moments at the beginning of their experience when camp kids who have been there for a couple years already are just walking right up to these boys, introducing themselves, inviting them to go tripping, play games. The kids they lived in tents with, the counselors they had looking after them at the beginning. Hmm. It made me feel good about the kind of people that come to the camp because the welcome was authentic and it was just the same as it would have been if you were from Cleveland or Denver or, you know, London or Sarnia. Well, I want to ask about one boy in particular, uh, Omar. Uh, Can you just tell me just a little bit about him? Well, Omar was the one out of 10 who really struggled um, at camp. And, you know, Barbara's crew picked up on this early and covered it, you know, pretty extensively and pretty thoughtfully, I would say, and and with a lot of care. But Omar was, uh, he was 14 when he got to Pathfinder in 2017, super bright uh, kid, super charismatic, handsome, as you can imagine, and uh, had tons of energy. And And we knew during this orientation visit earlier in the summer that he was would be a handful because he was so excited about everything, very impulsive, 
wanting to play pranks and, you know, act up and be the center of attention right from day one. Uh, and we certainly thought that we could handle that more. I mean, that's what you do when you're at camp. But when he got there to be resident for two weeks, it really quickly started to become apparent that he was um, someone who kind of brought baggage from Iraq and from the refugee camps that he had lived in to North America. And part of that baggage was this sort of obsessive need to control other people mm. and to project a very powerful and intimidating persona. Did he talk about his experience when he was over there? Very little, you know. I mean, it, it, his mother, Shifa, told me that... Um, their father, her husband, uh, was a policeman with the coalition in Baghdad that he was abducted and they believe murdered uh, when hmm. Omar was still, hadn't been born. She was five months pregnant with him hmm. um, and had two other sons when her husband disappeared. And he never knew his father. And uh, his so his young childhood was spent first in Baghdad and then fleeing Baghdad and leaving for um, what became a long stay in refugee camp you know, life. And he was in Turkey, right? Right. Yeah. That's right. I wondered about him uh, and his behavior because he, he did kind of remind me of kids that I either went to camp with or went to school with who are a little bit rebellious, uh, charismatic at the same time, though. How much of his behavior do you think is related to his experiences in a refugee camp versus just being a you know a rebellious young boy? Yeah, it's, I, don't, I just can't tell. It's yeah. really hard to tell even today um, looking back on it and charitably everyone at camp who was affected by by his uh, behavior uh, kept thinking that this has to reflect the fact that he has had a really difficult time in the Middle East and then making this transition to life in uh, in Toronto uh, but his brother who was a couple years older you know sailed through the experience and and uh, was super kind, positive, collaborative with everybody, made friends, was was over the moon about making friends with kids at the camp. And uh, the other boys, some of whom had had similar experiences before getting there, just did so well. He just seemed to be someone who had sort of flipped over to the other side at some point in his history of coping with his circumstances mm. and was really focused on coping by controlling his environment and controlling other people, you know, and it really came out in all kinds of ways. He was, you know, shaking down little campers who were junior to him for their stuff, and he was creating elaborate sort of webs of, you know, lies to keep the counselors kind of off balance and was looking to, you know, sort of set his own agenda at the camp. Is that in the film? I don't see, I don't remember him see, seeing him shake down other kids. I yeah, see him no, get think, into kind of stuff. I think but. what really um, showed up on the final edit was him you know, um, giving the trip guides a bit of a hard time right, and yeah. and not being very empathetic with peers and then getting into conflicts with both um, Canadian kids who were in the camp and with a couple of his um, fellow refugee campers. And that seemed to stem from kids sort of standing up to his nonsense at a certain point, and that mm. really triggered him um, at that point. But I wouldn't want to characterize Omar as all on the negative side. There was so much about him that was so engaging and magnetic. And, you know, we we worked so hard to make that experience work for him. Mm -hmm. And in the end, he got 
through 10 out of 14 days at the camp. But in the end, you know, when he became so aggressive with people, it was time, you know, for him to go home and for us to consider the bigger community. Yeah. Well, I want to ask about his brother as well, Hamid, because uh, there is a scene where you're you're talking to him. He's also struggling uh, a bit and he wants to go home. Um, how do you know how far to push a kid uh, who's, who is struggling, given what they've experienced? I wish I could say the camp directors know exactly what to do about that, but we don't. We're just trying to find ways to get them to focus on a goal that involves staying and sticking with the experience of being independent. You know, Hamid was doing really well up until his brother's difficulties started to embarrass and frustrate him. And then when Omar left the camp, uh, Hamid suddenly realized, you know, all at once that for the first time in his family's life, he was the only one who wasn't with them. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the same time, he was, I think, looking back on it, he was concerned about how other kids in the camp were going to look at him as the brother of someone who had, you know, caused a bit of a ruckus. And that, plus being tired from coming in off a tough canoe trip and finding yourself the only family member after having been with your brother there the whole time, I think it conspired to bring him to the point where he packed his bags and came to see me and instructed me to send him home yeah, that's right, yeah. that day. You know, at that point, you just you do what camp directors do. You're just trying to figure out how to sort of reorient their sights on a near goal that they think they can do. And so we tried to get him to focus on his canoeing, which he was so interested in as someone who had never even seen a canoe until he got to Algonquin Park and to see if he couldn't get an award in canoeing before he left. Hmm. And we just we put him on that sort of project and then asked him to let us contact his mother and talk it over, but make no commitment to send him home. Hmm. And uh, how's he doing now? Do you stay in touch with the, the kids after they leave? Well, so I saw him last night for the first time in oh. over a year, and uh, he was hard to get a hold of. And we kept inviting him back last year to become a junior counselor. He was right. at the age where he could have gone into our uh, leader development program. And he just has what it takes, absolutely. You can tell he does. And we just couldn't interest him in it. He seemed focused on staying in the city working summer job, making money, helping the family that definitely needs the financial help. But when I did finally make connection with him, it turned out that he didn't really have as solid an employment prospect as, as you know, I might have thought. And uh, we figured that maybe getting him to see the film and see what a important part he plays in the film and in the vibe of the camp that summer would you know, intrigue him. And sure enough, he, he saw the screening and immediately said, I know I should be back there. And so let's do it. And so today I'll be giving him a contract later in the afternoon to be a junior counselor at Pathfinder. That's great. Is there a universal experience that Pathfinder offers young boys who attend that, the camp? I think so. I, I'm a big believer in the experience that I had, that my sons had, that that my dad and my uncles all claim to have had at Pathfinder that we've seen happen over and over again over the years. And I think there's an experience that keeps parents and families interested in a, in a camp like that in this modern age so that it's 106 and thriving this year. Wow. And to me, that experience is getting away from the protective influence of mom and dad and having to live as co-equally responsible in your peer group or age group for everybody's well-being. You know, Pathfinder is a very rustic camp, and the base camp is very 
ba- uh, you know, rustic and basic. And then, of course, that's just the starting off point. And then you go out into the 7,000 square kilometers of Algonquin Park. And as you get older, you go out into the bush country of northern Ontario and Quebec. And when you get to be a certain age, you're suddenly up on Hudson's Bay on trips that are six weeks in length. You know, kids tend to go to the camp and keep coming year after year. And every time they come back, they're pushed a little farther, both, you know, geographically, but also mentally and emotionally to uh, become more uh, self-reliant and to look after each other uh, and to sort of rise to an adult level of capability because it's often required for everyone's safety and well-being on these canoe trips. And so I think the universal thing is for boys and girls, but in my world, for boys to have experiences like this that help them step up and step up and step up and to do what every kid has to do, which is to go away from home and return and reflect and then go away from home a little bit more adventuresomely and then return and reflect and so forth until they're out on their own in the world. And what's happening at Pathfinder that we think is kind of special is that as doing this year on year, you also start to become really addicted to and habituated to the feeling you get when you as a group of people together accomplish what you could never do by yourself. And you get such a charge out of that 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 feeling becomes something you want to repeat and repeat. And we think that if you can take that sensation and your desire to repeat it and bring it back into your schoolwork and your athletics and your community and your friendship circle and into your family as a parent and into your community as an adult who's contributing good things are going to happen. So that's our universal. I want to ask about the filmmaking uh, part of all this because uh, I guess it's it's probably a little unusual to have a crew following you around. Um, is it tough to act natural in those situations? Like, what is it like to be on camera, I guess? They, pre- they predicted it. The, the DPs and Barbara when she came and the segment producers that came with her, they, they said, you know, you're going to forget about us in a couple of days. And that seemed impossible, especially to the kids at the camp, because their filming style was like right in close. And they wireless mic'd people, and they weren't like literally right on top of kids, but their camera distance was very close, I thought. And so, you know, if you looked at how kids and even counselors reacted in the first day and day and a half, it was so hard not to be distracted by and to, you know, grab a glimpse of the camera. Hmm. But at a certain point, their prediction came true that everyone just gave up worrying about them and just lived our lives. And they just kept on plugging away. And they were up day and night. They lived in all the same conditions that we did. It was a very small crew. They bathed in the lake. They used outhouses for toilets. They <laughs> slept in canvas tents with bare wood floor on a you know, simple camp cot. And they just worked like dogs. You know, And people started to have so much respect for just the the work ethic you know it's almost like being a canoe tripper to try to be a doc filmmaker in a location setting like that they were really impressive do you know how many hours they got of footage they told me that they had 23 24 hours of material and originally she wanted to make barbara wanted to make a 28 minute um, short form documentary and she struggled with that for a few months and and decided she wanted it to be a feature-length doc and so changed the whole game plan. And I think it runs to 93 minutes. Yeah. So there's 22 hours of something awesome laying on the floor in some <laughs> editing suite. But 
they, I think they did a great job with what they got. Yeah, I think so. Um, we kind of started this conversation talking about, you know, uh, inviting refugee kids um, from Iraq and Syria and Canada opening its doors to about 60,000 of them uh, at this point. Um, I just wonder what you think of Canada's image as open and accepting of refugees. I think it's inspiring. You know, it's inspiring to a kid from America who started spending summers and now spends, you know, much of his life up here. And I think it it certainly has inspired all the Canadian kids, especially the staff members that are with us. Hmm. And it certainly has inspired all the American and European uh, kids and counselors that are part of Pathfinder. And it really was their encouragement that caused us, you know, as the directors to say yes to that film because even though they knew as we did that it was going to affect life at camp for a couple weeks uh, that it was going to maybe tell a story that was you know what we think Canada is trying to say with its uh, refugee policy and that is that this is a people uh, problem and a people crisis um, as much as it is a geopolitical or economic or or macro policy uh, crisis and I think Canada is helping me to see that even though uh, some of these international relations conundrums are so difficult, that you can always default to the person-to-person -person connection uh, and find your way you know, toward what's the right choice hmm. if you keep that the focus. There's actually been some pushback uh, in Canada to... I think asylum speakers, you know, crossing the border at these irregular border crossings. It's certainly come up in, I guess, uh, our political debates here around immigration and refugees, and I guess to what extent we can uh, have open borders. Um, I'm just wondering I, if you think our attitudes as Canadians are kind of hardening. Are they are they towards refugees at all? I can't tell, Colin. I think I think the media sometimes has to, you know, create two sides of a of an issue for uh, context to make sense to the reader, to the listener. The people I come across in my work and life on the Canadian side of the border are just amazing people in general, and I haven't heard anyone say anything negative uh, to me. I can understand how uh, people can become a little fearful if they're starting to see that after two, three four years, the story for Syrian and, and other uh, refugee arrivals in Canada is a mixed story. That is, it's not a happy narrative for everybody, and certainly not all the time. Some families may struggle and end up on social assistance. Housing, you know, may uh, still present a challenge. Um, family sponsorships have to come to an end at some point, and then there's trepidation about how the refugee family will fare when yeah. all that safety net uh, steps back a little bit. But no, I have great optimism about how Canadians will will follow through. Absolutely. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to, ha to be here. Thanks for having me. And that's the podcast. Keep an eye out for New Homeland when it hits theaters and on demand. Now, we're going on summer break ourselves, but we'll be back in the fall with new episodes. What will we feature? Not sure yet. If you have any questions or ideas, though, we'd love to hear from you. So write us at ondocs at tvo.org and follow me on Twitter at ColinEllis81. Please stay subscribed to our feed and remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps us find new listeners for the show. 
Thanks to producers Chantel Berganza and Matthew O'Mara, production support coordinators Nikki Ashworth and Jonathan Howell, and our podcast manager Hannah Sung. Big thanks to Rami Michael, Randall Freeman, Chris Reyes, Christine Harris, Paul Guinness, Maya Thomas, John Ferry, Kathy Vay, and so many more people. Too many to list here. We love working with all of you. Thanks most of all to you, our listeners. We'll catch you at the next screening. Have a happy summer! Happy summer!